Hey, welcome to the Gospel and Race podcast YouTube channel where we create space to have the meaningful conversations and discernment around the church and race. I'm Greg Armstrong, your host. I'm so glad to be on this journey with you. I want to ask you to do a couple things for me. I want you to subscribe to this channel, jump into the conversation, leave some comments. I also want you to hit the notification button so that you know when we are live or when we have posted new content. We are going to engage this powerful conversation of the church and race and see the kingdom of God reconcile all nations. Let's go. The Gospel and Race podcast. Welcome to the Gospel and Race podcast. We are back, y'all. Man, I look, we... We're doing the work. We're doing the work the best we can. The best we can. To really try to bring some language to race in the church. And I'm excited to be a part of this conversation. God has been good. We've had some phenomenal speakers. And today, well, first of all, my name's Greg, because I never do that right, David. <laughs> my name's Greg, the host of the Gospel and Race podcast. But I'm so hyped. I got my boy. Now, you're my guy. I know we're just meeting each other, no, you know. No, I, I believe that. I'll but I'm, our, well, we've met before, and we'll yeah, talk about that. Yeah. But you're my guy, man. This is Pastor David Swanson, pastor in Bronzeville right here in Chicago. He's going to talk about his church here in a little bit. But welcome him to the podcast. <laughs> David Swanson, let's go. How you doing, man? I'm good. Yeah, this is a pleasure. I'm excited for this. Bro, I'm just, um, I'm just so hyped you're here. You were on our list. By the way, everybody's going to say that because everybody we've invited has been on our list. So every time we sit down, we're like, you were on our list. <laughs> so after a while, people are going to be thinking like, that's a long uh, list. That's yeah, a very right. long list. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Pastor David Swanson, I just thank God for you. We pastor in the same mm -hmm, vicinity, mm -hmm, so to speak. You're in mm -hmm. the city. I'm in the suburbs. And just tell us a little bit about yourself before we jump, to, jump into some conversation. Your family, mm -hmm. your church, what you got going on? Yeah. Well, man, thank you again for having me. This is I've done a lot of uh, podcasts over the past few years, yeah. but it was all during, you know, the book that I, I wrote, which we'll chat about, came out during the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, man, I so, remember. Yeah, everything, everything was on Zoom or virtual. So to be in a room with somebody face yes. to face, I'm never going to take that for granted again, for real. <laughs> right like it's a, it's, uh, it's a big deal. Uh, so thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah uh, I was mentioning before we, we, we came on here. Married to my wife, Maggie, for 24 years. Uh, she actually just graduated uh, with her master's in early childhood education. Nice. So we're praying uh, We're praying that the Lord will provide a, the, the perfect preschool classroom for her in the fall. That's oh really what goodness. she feels excited about and, and called yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. So, and then two sons, uh, one who will be going into ninth grade, one going into fourth grade. Uh, they are the best. And yeah. uh, bottomless pits can literally not keep food. And I don't know if that's... <laughs> Are you in that phase yet? Are you Bro, there Bro, I am in that phase it's, now. You know, I used to hear people talk about that and be like. It's a fact. Like, it's a cliche. You're exaggerating. <laughs> Literally, we buy these these things of Costco peanuts that, like, you think you could feed an elephant with these things. Yeah, and my bro. oldest is just like, how are you still eating right yeah, now? Yeah, Anyways, yeah, so yeah. That's, it's a that's, fact, bro. that's where we're living these days. Uh, and then, yeah, the church, New Community Covenant Church in Bronzeville, as you mentioned, the south side of Chicago. Yeah. If anybody's watching who's not from Chicago, I like to tell folks that 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 Bronzeville is Chicago's Harlem, you know, yeah, in terms of lineage, yeah. significance, culture, all man. of all of yeah. it, right? And uh, so, if you don't know Bronzeville, you need to know Bronzeville. Planted the church uh, with a small group uh, 13 years ago, so we're celebrating our 13-year anniversary nice. actually next weekend. Couldn't do our 10-year anniversary celebration because of you know that same <sighs> right, thing. Uh, so we said, why not 13? So we're celebrating our 13-year anniversary coming up. Man, I love it, man. So New Community Church in yeah. Bronzeville, and I found you. So we met already. Mm -hmm. So you 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 don't have to know this, <laughs> but we we met on the West Side. We met at a pastor's gathering, West Side pastor's gathering, whatever. And I remember talking with you and wondering, like, why is this white dude mm -hmm. at this pastor's gathering? These are like West Side Baptist pastors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I and I and I suspected, like, oh man, he's he's in this world. And, and so I began talking to you about multi-ethnic church mm -hmm. and things of that sort. And you're like, yeah, that's what I do. And I, and I thought that was fascinating. Um, and then, so then I followed you from there. Mm -hmm. And um, watching you on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, especially during the murder of George Floyd, mm. 
I said, this white dude is crazy. <laughs> He's crazy. He is dropping gems about the reality of the systems and structures in our culture. Mm -hmm. Stuff that I feel like persons of color are always just trying to get across. Right. right. And, and listen, man, I'll tell you this. This is really important. I told you this before the podcast. It's important to know that I was trying to hold on to some voices, mm -hmm. some non black voices mm -hmm. that would actually help me realize that you're not crazy for what you're seeing yeah. and discerning what you're writing about and what you're trying to lead your congregation through. Mm -hmm. And you were one of those voices, mm -hmm. man, where you would just pop up and I'd be like, Oh my goodness. Thank you, bro. Mm -hmm. You are so right. So mm -hmm. you got, I got shares on your, you know, <laughs> check my account, bro. I've been sharing the Swanson, Swanson vibes. So, um, it, it was very fascinating to me to see the courage, um, I was asking white leaders during that time of George Floyd, I was asking them to be martyrs in a sense, mm. to kind of bleed with us. Mm. Um, and it was very difficult. I lost a lot of friends, yeah. lost a lot of colleagues, yeah. et cetera. And you know what that's like. But yeah. what in the world got you into talking about justice? And we'll talk mm -hmm. about your book mm -hmm. in a moment. Mm -hmm. But why are you, why? Yeah. Why? I mean, part of it is what you just said, right? That there are, there have always been people yeah. pointing out these realities. They've just not been white people, mm. uh, for the most part. There, yeah. there are always there are always exceptions, um, but by and large, the history of of our country is one in which African American people, in particular, have used that prophetic voice uh, to articulate very clearly reality. Yeah, reality not just for Black people, yeah, but for for everybody, and so. I, I see that as, as, as part of my call is to just echo, as mm. it were. I don't think I've ever said an echo. original thing ever in my life. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I, I do my best to, to cite and give the footnotes. Sure. But I, I really do think of my, my voice as an echoing voice, you know, of, of a voice that is doing my best to, to project and to amplify and to amen to uh, those faithful women and men who for generations have been saying, thus saith the Lord, mm. into the particularities of uh, a racialized uh, hierarchy yeah. built on supremacy and domination, exploitation, and so on, and, and saying, th th this, is, uh, this is not what God would have for us, right? There, there is an alternative. And so I, I understand that, that because we have experienced a lack, a dearth of white voices in these spaces. Some of the things that I have said over the years maybe sound radical, mm. um, but I think it's mostly just biblical common sense yep. from the ground that I stand in, which sure. is Bronzeville, yeah. which is a multiracial congregation, right? So, so the thing that sounds radical from one vantage point uh, in my congregation, in our neighborhood, is people shrug. Is yeah, it's like hey, this is what we do. You know what I mean? So, and and that that's part of the tension I think in the multi-ethnic world. And I'd be really actually very curious how how you experience this. Is you're often speaking to both at the same time. Yeah. You're often holding both of those audience in tension. Yeah. You're you're speaking to the to the person for whom this is just a lived reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they have exegeted their life through the lens of scripture having suffered the worst of, of systems of domination and oppression. And you look across the room and you're speaking to somebody <laughs> who's like literally last week. Right, right. They heard a podcast. Right. They, you know what I mean? Right, like they right, read right. an article and they're like, oh, I need to, I need to understand this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how do you do both of that at the same time? Yeah. How do you simultaneously? Because outside of a congregation, you don't really need to do that. You can pick and choose. Yeah, you sure can. But a multi-ethnic, multi multiracial church, Lord willing, you have both mm. in that room together. Yeah. How are you speaking and pastoring and preaching and discipling in a way that allows both of those people in the room to say that was a word for me, right? Like I'm not a means to an end in this space. You yeah. know, I'm not just here for someone else's education. Yeah. Like I'm actually being pastored and cared for and discipled in this space too. That for me as a, as a multi-ethnic pastor, I always feel that tension. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. That is a, I mean, when we, cause we try our best to, to address social disparities that mm -hmm. are on display, mm -hmm. right? As a congregation mm -hmm. and you stand up there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, how do I best frame this? Right. One of the things that I, one of the things I started doing was I started pastoring through the people. Hmm. 
right? And so we're learning, we're learning, and you talk about this in your book, the emphasis of the table. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we're learning that as a congregation. And I began trying my best to pastor through the voices in the congregation that would then begin to mm. entrench consistency mm. if we if we're allowing for this togetherness right mm -hmm. i found that in a corporate space where we all come to worship on a sunday morning um we all can pick and choose you know kind of where we sit you know mm -hmm. what time we come mm -hmm. what time mm -hmm. we leave mm -hmm. but when the table is set right when there are intentional spaces outside of that yeah. place where um where there can be some very intimate conversation mm -hmm. my hope is mm -hmm. that my voice has been pastoring the persons of color That's in a good. way to give them language. Yeah. And then also my voice has been pastoring like my white congregants mm -hmm. in a way to listen mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that mm -hmm. when I'm not there, That's good. It's happening. It's you know almost I mean? like you're, you're you're providing publicly an example or a yeah. framework or language Dude, or hooks. That's and, it. I see. That's so helpful. that when you all, when I'm not here, then the pastoral influence continues because this is what we do. Like yeah. we're taught and led to listen. Yeah. We're taught and led to share. Yeah. And we're both taught and led to be in, in mutuality yeah. and in solidarity and in peace so that we all can actually see what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And that's the other piece, right? Like the discerning of the Spirit. Right. We just believe right. at the table that the Spirit will come and help us begin to sort out some of these things. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just one thing, you know. No, I mean? no, it's, I, because where else are people going to get that? Yeah, you know, yep. literally, you know, because like, the news is feeding them all this kind of that's stuff. That's right. That's right. And and maybe in their corporate cor corporate culture, they're getting you know some diversity, equity, inclusion training, which can be helpful, right? But still, kind of yeah. a veneer. Yeah. I, I was with a, a group of men uh, from Chicago. We we led them on a, a, a trip down into the uh, some significant civil rights monuments in the South yeah. recently, and this is a you know a mixed race group yeah. uh, of Christian men. And the last night we're sitting together in this hotel uh, meeting room, about 30 men. And it was one of the most raw and real conversations that I have experienced in a long time. Yeah. Now, in part because I think our congregation, we're so used to this. People are kind of in it. Yeah, like yeah. we know we're kind of pulling the same direction. Whereas this group, it's a mix. It's huh. people who it's just intuitive to them that of course the gospel and race have to be in conversation. Of course the gospel addresses this. And then people for whom this was pretty new and they were honest really? and they were very real, got very deep, but they held together. And it's some mm. of those practices that I think you're describing, which held them together. And as I reflected back on it, I tried to kind of reflect on it for them the next day. I said, where else would you have experienced this? Right. You know, aside from, from a group of men following Jesus together, committed to, to be in the space together, what, what examples have you seen of something mm. like this happening? And so I, I try to keep that in mind, even in our congregational settings. The, the places we're trying to lead people, not only have they never been there them, themselves, most yeah. likely, they've never seen it. Right. You know, they don't have an example to say this is what we're moving to. Hmm. And so to, to do what you're doing in that way and then kind of send people to experience it on their own, that feels really, yeah, just really good and yeah i think right. it's like I, I think it's the only way because we've done it in the um and, and i i don't want to say anti-attractional because mm -hmm, our church mm -hmm, has attraction mm -hmm, elements mm -hmm, to it mm -hmm. but in in sort of the anti-attraction the 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 attractional spaces is very very difficult yeah like if we got the pomp and circumstance on sunday right. we got the music right. we got the things and then we try to bring justice oriented items yeah. that's one thing and we address things but in that's in that space of just kind of focused you know on the altar on the presence of god mm. and together Togetherness is difficult, but if we can send people, and this mm -hmm. is what we're learning, bro. So mm -hmm. I, this is not what we do perfect, mm -hmm. but this is yeah. what we're trying to learn how to do. How can we, how can we shout the walls down on Sunday, mm -hmm. but then have a mm -hmm. space throughout mm -hmm. the week where we can discern together because these issues of race and injustice won't happen just on a Sunday, right? So, so I want to ask you something. I'm like interviewing you. I'm not. I'm just taking advantage of like being this. Bro, like, listen. You just no. shut me down. You just shut me down. We That's are fine. hanging, That's man. Fine. But I'm always trying to learn. So uh, you said we're we, we're going to, how'd you say it? We're going to shout shout the walls down on we'll Sunday? Shout the walls. Yeah, it's a Jesus-centered gathering. But it's celebratory, right? I mean, yes. there's elements of celebration, yes. worship, praise. Yes. I think this is oftentimes, and I'm, I'm kind of curious your experience on this. This is yeah. oftentimes what white people can miss about reconciliation ministry because we come to this with our our eyes kind of newly opened to 
layers of injustice. Yeah, sure. That that we have been ignorant of, yep. willfully or yep. accidentally. Yep. And 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 so our posture is one of of lament and grief. Yeah. Rightly so, understandably yeah. Yeah. so, right? And we bring that posture then with us to the gathering of God's people. And yep. we we often I th- I think expect then that worship would be shaped by that. Right, right. That it will it will be more somber. It will be more lament oriented in its disposition, right? And and the imagination for how praise, how worship, how the shout, how celebration, how the testimony would also be a part of this is one that I I have found white people really need to be discipled into. It's not intuitive because it almost feels wrong. Like, man, here's this terrible thing that I'm waking up to (laughs) and we're going to be, you know, shouting and praising and celebrating on a Sunday. Isn't that wrong? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yet without that, we will not have the spiritual gas to keep us at this. Right. right, Like we will run out of steam. So I don't know, man, that that. It, it, people bring these different expectations even to to the corporate gathering. They do. You know, and, I think and that's a fair critique. I mean, one of the th- one of the things we get. So our ch- our church is led. You know, my I'm, I'm from the historic Black mm-hmm, Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. You know, Sunday is for worship. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. we'll deal with the other stuff later. Mm-hmm. But God's been good. We yes, made it. Yes. Racism or not. Yes. You know what I mean. Yes. Trouble or yes, not. Yes. You know, social issues or not. We're here to honor God. Yes. It's His day. We're we're doing that. And and we do get this response to say, how do you keep praising and pushing through right. in the midst of your, tr- like your, tr- mm-hmm. your trouble? Mm-hmm. Like you got more trauma than we do. Mm-hmm. And how do you do? Well, I think that's the richness of yeah. what we bring to the table in multi-ethnic spaces. That's right. Because on the flip side, while we can actually give an expression of praise and honor and worship in the midst of, mm. we're learning how to shut up sometimes mm. and be contemplative mm. and, and have mm. moments mm. where... We don't just praise our way through it, right, right, right. But we actually do need to sit with. I don't feel good about yeah, yeah, what yeah. happened. Yeah, that's the beauty of. Yeah, f- folks, this is my. That's good. Homage to the multi ethnic church. Yeah, this is what can happen at our best. At our best, <laughs> at our best. right? <laughs> at our best, these perspectives, these histories, yeah. these this nurturing, this ecclesiology. This is something that is messy. It takes long. Mm. It's it's, mm. it's hard. It's confusing. Mm-hmm. We you know sometimes we lose people because we're too loud. Sometimes we gain people because we're we're not loud enough. Mm-hmm. And sometimes. This is what multi-ethnic table settings can do mm. for congregations mm. where we just kind of learn from each other, yeah. where how do we, you know, one of the things we're learning in our church, like the persons of color, is how to sit down at the table. Mm. Like we can have church anywhere. Mm-hmm. We can have church on the street corner, mm-hmm. man. We ain't got no problem mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. But we're learning through some of our white brothers and sisters and leaders mm. to say, hey, here, here's a practice. Mm that you you didn't have to ever enter into hmm. that we want to actually just frame and we look at that and say oh we don't eat everybody's house right we don't go over everybody's house yeah we don't sit in people's kitchens but this multi-ethnic this ecclesiology is helping us understand i'm going to do some uncomfortable things yeah. to experience the presence of god in a space yeah. that otherwise i would not have and maybe god can be doing something there right right, right. and then we can get to the heart of these racial disgusts yeah. Yeah, yeah. that we're all dealing yeah. with and so anyways, that I that's, I we're going to keep chomping at it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why, yeah. so you're in Bronzeville and Bronzeville is like Harlem of Chicago. Mm-hmm, you're right. Mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm, culture, class, mm-hmm. um, um, black beauty and excellence, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, what sent you there? Yeah. What, what was, what was that all about? I mean, the providence of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was not, it was, a calling it was not my plan, okay. you know, because right the, the church that sent us to start uh, the, the congregation there in Bronzeville had already identified the neighborhood before I was ever in the picture, before yeah. I was ever on staff. And it was yeah. because there were people in that community already who were attending this church and they together discerned this is this is where God would have us planted. Yeah. I mean, you know how Chicago works. It's a yep. it's a black neighborhood. But you go a little bit this way and it's a white neighborhood and a little bit this way and it's a Chinese American. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> bro, that's like the that is Chicago. That's Chicago. Right. Dude. So you, you're not going to there's some exceptions, but most neighborhoods are still pretty segregated. <laughs> yeah. And so they said, yeah, but access, you know, to yeah, different groups of people. Yeah, and yeah. so they thought that Bronzeville could be 
a, a church that honored the community while also accessing some of that racial, ethnic, cultural diversity. And that's, that's proven to be the case. Sure. Um, you know, the short version of the story is that we always assumed that God would, would call an African-American pastor to lead yeah. his church. Uh, in the meantime, I was asked to do some of the behind the scenes, administrative stuff, start to get to know people, organize small groups, prayer meetings, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, God never provided that pastor. And yeah. so with just a, a short amount of time before we, we were to launch our, our work weekly services, I was designated to be the pastor of the, of the church. Um, so good. Yeah. So, so good, crazy, man. you know, tumultuous. And yet, is there any other way I would have ended up? I don't think so. Because on paper, it made absolutely no sense. Yeah. To my own, you know, insecure <laughs> white man's heart, it yeah, made yeah, no yeah, sense yeah, whatsoever. Because, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm up here saying, look, for, for a church to really be truly multiracial, you need black leadership. Yeah, you need, yeah. We need to, you know, reverse the power dynamic. That, yeah, yeah. I'm saying all this stuff, and I'm like, really, Lord, seriously? <laughs> like, this is terrible. <laughs> I'm, this is so wrong, so backwards on so many levels. Um, and what I, what I really came to believe, and this was mostly through the help of my spiritual director over, you know, a few years, is that for me, this call was about being emptied. Uh, it was about moving from a situation where I could rely on the, 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 the privileges afforded to me by our society, and I, and I could no longer rely on those. Uh, that it was Paul's language of, of weakness and brokenness and foolishness of being how the gospel's beauty and wisdom and strength would be exerted. Mm. And, and once I mm. could, once I could see that, and it took me about three years, then I felt like I could really get my arms around this call and say, okay, God, you've called me to this, not because of anything I have to offer. Sure. It's actually the opposite of that. You yeah. call me to this so that in my weakness, in my foolishness, in my brokenness, you would be made beautiful. And once I could get that, I was like, oh, I guess this does kind of make sense. Yeah, you know, from it's that my frame formation of as right. well. That's right. That's so right. you're leading, so a white pastor in Bronzeville leading, is it majority persons of color in your church? Yeah, it's about a third African-American, a third Asian-American, a third white, and then we have a handful of Latino folks as well. Really? Yeah. So what's the, um, what is the like economic kind of makeup? Yeah, so... I would say, as with many multiracial churches, we probably skew towards educated or yeah. overly educated. Uh, but I'm constantly reminding our church that that is not all who we are. Right. 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 So we, we have class diversity in the congregation as well. You know, we have people who are working on their PhDs, people who maybe graduated high school, you know, people who are in Chicago temporarily on their way to another school or job and people who are literally walking to church from the neighborhood they grew up in. Um, so I, I, I pray for and desire more of that. Um, but God has been gracious to, to allow us to experience some of that as well. That's so good. Yeah. Well, look, I, you, the, the podcast knows and you know, from me telling you, I believe in the strength of the multi, multi mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. I believe that, um, there has already been sort of a deconstruction of it, mm -hmm, right? And there's mm -hmm, a critique mm -hmm. of the multi-ethnic church that has been extremely valid in terms of its um, complicit nature with mm -hmm. sort of whiteness mm -hmm. and how it's shaped and been used to just exert power yeah. and more pain and harm. However, I do believe that the Lord is reconstructing, mm -hmm. as you said earlier, mm -hmm. a new imagination mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. the multi-ethnic church um, to be sort of the leading force in uh, the racial disparities, some of the, the, the segregation that we still mm -hmm. experience. And I think especially being in Chicago, yeah. a place which is the most yeah. segregated, mm -hmm. and even in many cases still now, mm -hmm. the most segregated space, but there's so much merging and, and clashing cultures in our neighborhoods and the suburbs and the city. Yeah. I think God's kind of really working something up. Mm -hmm. So before we, I want to get into some stuff about your book, but I want to I wanna hear from you about your hopes in the multi-ethnic church. Mm. What is the multi-ethnic church to you? The, the, the other thing, I'm just throwing, throwing this yeah, all yeah. at you. The other thing is, I'm always arguing with people about, it's multi-ethnic, no, it's multicultural, <laughs> no, it's multiracial. I'm like, I don't care what mm -hmm, it is, mm -hmm, you know, different. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, what are some of your thoughts on that to help people kind of frame what we're actually trying to champion here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that in terms of the language. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. We, we, we know what we're trying to do different. And mm -hmm. if so you want to describe it as, as being multi-ethnic to describe you know, kind, of, kind of God's original intention around ethnicity. If you want to talk about it being multicultural to differentiate between the fact that you can be multi-ethnic or multi-racial but still have monoculture right, in the in right, space. Right. So I, I get the different arguments for it. 
That's why I tend to use it interchangeably because it's sort of a yes. Yeah, all, all of it. Bro. All of the above. <laughs> all of the above. Uh, so I'm not going to get too hung up on that, I, I think. Um, I, I'm with you. I, uh, I am deeply committed to the multi-ethnic church. Amen. I, um, I, I read a, a book uh, by, I think her name is uh, Shaniqua Walker Barnes, uh, Dr. Barnes, and she says, uh, despite everything, I am still captive to the multi. I said, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, Say that. despite everything, there is still this biblical vision of reconciliation, deep reconciliation, meaningful reconciliation, uh, uh, material reconciliation that I cannot escape. Yeah. Despite all of the mistakes, despite the way that the multi-ethnic church has been used as cover yep. for majority culture yep. norms and, and agendas, um, despite the very w- real wounds and, and, and hurts that some people have experienced when that dynamic has happened. I, I can't get loose of, that, of yeah. that vision because it reflects something fundamental to the creation itself, fundamental to the, the end of all things, yeah. fundamental to who Jesus Christ is in the world today. And so for me to walk away from the multi-ethnic church would be to, to, to obscure so much of that biblical vision. It would be to, to reduce scripture so severely uh, that it would be almost unrecognizable to me. Come on, man. <laughs> he just framed the whole thing. I'm just going to take it. Oh, Lord. I, want you, I wish you could say that all over again. We're just going to have to play that back. <laughs> yes. Deeply committed. To the multi-ethnic church. And I mean, you know, like it, like you said before, it's so messy. It's yeah, so yeah, it's messy, messy and we misunderstand each other constantly. Yeah. We're constantly having to go back and say, now, when you said this, did you mean this or did you mean, you know, that's all of that. Yeah. But um, there's a, there's a, uh, a theologian historian, uh, Laman Sane, who says that the unique thing about Christianity is that it's it's always been a translated religion. Huh. Unlike some religions would say you would you would need to read our scriptures from its original languages. Yeah. Christianity has never said that, right? From the beginning, from Aramaic into Greek, even before our scriptures are written down, it's been a translated language. And so for me, that messiness that you described is actually not evidence that we are doing something wrong. Yeah. That's actually at the heart of the, the missionary nature of Christianity. Mm. And by missionary, I don't mean going to another country. I'm yeah. talking about just gathering on a Sunday morning. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, of course it's going to be messy because the, the word became flesh and is now being translated into yeah. these different dialects, right? And, and experiences and cultures. And that all comes crashing together in a local congregation in a way that can be extremely beautiful but is also always going to be messy. And, and I would say we need to interpret that messiness as the Spirit's movement among us, as evidence that this is, this is what we're supposed to be about. I love that, man. I, you know, it made me think about, I said, I told my church this a few weeks ago. We, um, I, I preached at a church and I was just talking about just very simple reconciliation. Like it's a majority white church. And I'm like, Hey guys, I'm your cousin. Like, Hey, here's the right, deal. Right. Like, here's what we need to lean into. And the spirit's just moving. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, the messiness of it was this, I'm at the altar, just kind of greeting people. I'll pray for you, whatever. Mm-hmm. This, this white lady runs up to me. Right. And she goes, pastor Greg, I'm a racist. (laughs) (laughs) And me and Elder Chad were sitting there like, okay, this is a new altar moment for me, right? right? right. I don't even know what to do. Do I lay hands on her? Like, do I lead her to Jesus? I don't know what to do right now. But she said, she's just bawling, crying. She's like, I'm a racist. Oh my goodness. My whole family's racist. And I'm like, Whoa. I walked away from that moment, though, thinking like, this is the craziness. Yeah. This is the messiness. Yeah. Yeah. This is the uh, the epiphany, the presence of Christ, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit yes. to bring clarity in a moment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That yeah. we don't know what to do with it. Yes. We don't know how to yes. deal. Yes. 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 It's kind of like when the spirit will fall and acts. Yeah. Like, what do we yeah. do yeah. with yeah. this? Yeah. That's like, right. Hey, repent, that's right. repent and, and know Jesus. That's right. and, and so that's the beauty of unearthing the reality of these yes. spiritual yes. antagonisms yes, in terms yes, of race yes. and injustice, yeah. man, we got to get into it. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate your, 
your love for it because I'm just always just searching out for more mm -hmm. brothers and sisters mm -hmm. who are like, hey, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we need to continue to unearth more mm -hmm. and more and mm -hmm. more. A part of a part of my witness for the multi ethnic church is this, and here's how I've always always viewed it. I don't think, David, we I don't think we can really lean into multi-ethnic without exposing the realities of the white narrative yeah. in the West, in America, right? Um, and people don't understand that. They want to start with just reconciliation, mm -hmm. with just mm -hmm. kumbaya, mm -hmm. togetherness, mm -hmm. unity. I just think that's what we've done and that's where we've missed it. Yeah. I think the painful work of diagnosis as it relates to the history, you can read Tisby on this, mm -hmm, you can read any, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the history of our nation, mm -hmm. the complexities of church, culture, and race in America mm -hmm. has to be framed through the lens of whiteness, white privilege, mm -hmm. uh, systemic racism, mm -hmm. et cetera. Mm -hmm. And this is what's fascinating about your book, Rediscipling the White Church. And I believe it starts there. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten a lot of pushback on that from my white brothers and sisters, because they're like, well, you know, you can't just blame us first. Right, I wasn't right. So I want to I want to frame right. a couple. Well, I want you to frame for us um, some language around terms that I think are necessary for us to have multi ethnic expressions mm -hmm, of the mm -hmm, church. Mm -hmm. And the first one is white privilege. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Give us give us some language around, around what white privilege is mm -hmm. and how we're actually really ensconced within it. Mm hmm. Yeah, so years ago, I had a friend, a uh, Korean-American friend, and he said, you know, David, um, you, you check every box of privilege. Uh, what are you, what are you, and I, I knew about white privilege. It's like, you know, male privilege, you know, in a society, right, that, like, has gender disparities. Yep. Okay, yeah. He kind of goes down a few others, and he goes, and you got height privilege, too. <laughs> and I'm like, I got what? And he's like, yeah, I just read this article. And it says if you're between, I can't remember exactly, but basically, like, if you're between 5'9 and 6'3, that's the, like, higher than that, and it's, you know, it's too high, it's shorter than that, too short. Yeah. Again, I can't remember the exact numbers. He said, but you got height privilege, too. Too funny. And I think about that sometimes, right, because... Uh, if that's true, right, if, 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 you know, sociologists, psychologists can say, yeah, if you're a certain height, you're, you're more likely to be looked to as the leader. You yeah. know, people are, are, are apt to make assumptions about you that are positive rather yeah. than negative. You're more willing to be seen and not overlooked and so on. <clears throat> okay. Well, I didn't choose that. Yeah. Right. I never chose to be 6'1". I didn't work really hard to get to be 6'1". <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I yeah. didn't pull myself up by my bootstraps to get to be I just was born into a body that became 6'1". Right. Same with my race. Right? I never yeah. chose to be white. I didn't choose the skin color that I have. I was born into that. And frankly, I'm just fine with that. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel bad about that. I don't hate my skin color. I don't <laughs> wish I was some other color. It's just the body that God gave me, and I'm thankful for it, right? Yeah. But it, it, it means something. And for Christians, this should not be surprising because we, we understand the incarnational nature of the world. Our yeah. Savior took on our flesh. Yeah. So, of course, our bodies mean something, right? Of course, height means something. Gender means something. Uh, um, you know, ability means something. And in a world that has been racialized, skin color means something. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have to feel ashamed of being white. That's not what white privilege is. Right. I don't have to feel guilty about being white. That's not what white privilege is. What white privilege is is just simply acknowledging that it means something, hmm. that I'm born into the body that I'm born into, in the same way that I might acknowledge my height or my gender uh, or my, my ability to, to run up a hill rather than to need someone to push me up a hill in, in a wheelchair. Right. All those things matter, right? And so that's what I would want to say to white people who are, you know, who are kind of wondering about that or pushing back against that a little bit. It's just to say, no, God gave you the body that you have. Yeah. And, it, and it does matter, actually, all of it. And we live in a, in a complicated and a broken world where attributes of some bodies have been elevated over others. You didn't choose that. You didn't want that. You're not trying to game any system. You were born into that. Well, now we got to take some ownership out of that. Hmm. Now, because I'm related to people whose bodies signify different things. That's right. That's my sister and brother in Christ. So we're going to figure out those differences. And I'm going to figure out if I have some amount of privilege that I could actually use on behalf of my sister or my right. brother. Because you know what? They have some privilege right. that they're going to use on my behalf as well. Yep. Let me give an example. I'm a white pastor going into a black neighborhood. <laughs> and I'm a church planter, which means I just got to go out there 
and pretend to be an extrovert because I'm not an extrovert. I'm an introvert. But I wake up every morning and say, Lord, just help me pretend to be an extrovert until bedtime. Yeah. And I'm introducing myself to pastors, community leaders, yeah. and 99% of them are, are black, right? And I said, Lord, please bring me to the people of peace hmm. using Jesus' language, right? Yeah. And if, if, if it's not who you have me connect with, that's okay. But there were a handful of incredibly important critical people in my own development in that season who used their privilege, the privilege of the fact that they knew this community or the privilege of the fact that they were leaders in that community, the privilege of the fact that they had access to networks in that community. And they leveraged their privilege to assist this new white pastor in their community. They leveraged their privilege for another brother in Christ so that I could live into my calling, into my identity. That's what I want to do with my any racial privilege that I have. I want to acknowledge that. I don't want to pretend that it's not so, so that I can then utilize it in some way that would benefit somebody else in the same way that someone has done that for me. Man, that's powerful. Yeah, exactly, man. So so it's not a negative connotation. It's a reality. It's a, it's a reality that we were born into. It's a reality we were born yep. into. Yep. And and for most people in this generation, of course, it's an inheritance. Right. Right? Yeah. That then you have a choice to one, acknowledge, but then to two, to use for the purpose of pe- others. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Others. Yes, right. Which that frames it in such a, a very doable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a friend uh, who, who pastors in Harlem and he says, I'm, I'm not looking for white people to feel guilty. I'm looking for you to take responsibility. Right. Right. That's it. Right. Like that's it. When, whenever the whenever we, we have access to something that could be used for someone else's benefit, yeah. whether we worked for it or not, we take responsibility for that so that others can benefit. Yeah. So um, let's see. Um, Thurman Baldwin. Uh, Jennings, they all frame for us whiteness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, and I use this quite a bit um, mm-hmm. in terms of um, the systems in which yeah. um, we see the world. Yeah. And I think we have all been entrenched in yeah. it until we're discipled out of it, yeah. right? Yeah. So could you give some additional language to like whiteness? Because you talk a little bit about this yeah. and I want to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the ways that I would try to get at this is to say, what is whiteness for? Because if historically we would say whiteness didn't always exist, color white always exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whiteness as a racial frame did not always exist. We can read the literature and know that for a fact, yeah. right? But we now live at a time when whiteness does mean something. So, so what is whiteness for is a question that I asked to try to get some clarity on this. And the way that I would read history is to say that, that, that whiteness and then the, you know, the subsequent categories of racialization and white supremacy and so on, it was for justification. It was for the justification of material exploitation and extraction. It was a, it was a way that for the most part, Europeans could justify plunder, theft, taking land, taking people, enforced labor. Um, So I I do think this is important to to state sequentially. It wasn't that racism exists or whiteness exists, and then that led to exploitation. No, Sin has always exist, yeah. right? Our, our tendencies to exploit people, to steal what's not ours, to break the Eighth Commandment, that's always been the case. But a, a system of justification develops around colonialization yep. and so on that would then allow majority Christian nations to justify their theft, mm. to justify why it is that we, we so thoroughly and systematically are breaking the Eighth Commandment, yeah. taking somebody else's land, taking somebody else's children from them, and forcing them into labor. And, and so what whiteness does is it, it provides this, this story that we can tell, that there are some people who are inherently more human than others, and because that's true, we are justified in our plunder. We're justified in our, in our theft. It's what allows churches in early America to, to be segregated. It's what allows uh, you know, the, the representatives in the Virginia House of Burgesses to, to say, no, it's, it's okay to baptize your enslaved person because baptism won't signify freedom you know, in their mm. life. What, what has more power is... Uh, is the, the, the biology of their race, which leads to enslavement, right? So, so all of 
I, I know I'm rambling here a little no, bit, no, Greg, no, but, but what I'm trying to say is that, that we, we ought to understand sequentially that, that whiteness evolves as a justification, oh. as a justification. And I think that's important for us in a contemporary moment because those sins of exploitation continue today. Those sins of, of, of material extraction, of theft, of, 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 I think about, for example, um, the community of Gary, Indiana. Yep. It's, you know, I can, I can see it uh, from the lake where yep. we live. Gary, Indiana, in a state that is, I, I believe, 8% African-American, Gary is 80% African-American. Yep. And Gary is known as Cancer Alley because of the, the, the elevated rates of, of, of cancer, because yep. of all of the heavy industry and, and the refinement in that community. And you could tell that story over and over and over and over again in this country. And, and how is it that we sleep at night knowing these things? Yeah. I, I think that that narrative of whiteness continues to do its work. It continues to, uh, in the back of our minds, say, well, if somebody lives there, they must somehow deserve it. They must somehow be less than. Mm-hmm. Than than mm-hmm. than from where mm-hmm. I sit. That's today. that's why, that, and thank you for saying that because that's why I believe that whiteness as a frame, um, a justifying frame, justifying frame. Um, really seeps itself into every culture. Right. That's why right. it's so powerful. That's right. That's right. Because then there's this level of participation that yeah. even per- persons of color. That's right. They can participate with whiteness for the purpose of, especially in a capitalist society. Yeah. Right? Yeah. In a, in a, yeah. In a country of capitalism. Yeah. You know, the, the, the way to play the game yeah. is to participate with the strength of whiteness and to actually see yourself only significant in uh, in light of that framework. So can I give you a heartbreaking example of yep. this? In our, in our, just south of our, our, our community. Uh, eight, or, eight or nine years ago, city of Chicago closed a whole bunch of public schools. Yep. Vast yep. majority on the south side and the west side. So there's been one of these shuttered schools in the neighborhood south of us, mm-hmm. uh, majority black neighborhood, uh, which has experienced significant disinvestment from the city over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, uh, public transportation, housing infrastructure, school closing, uh, health clinic closed, right? You just yeah. watch it happen. Uh, and this community is paying attention to yeah. this, obviously, right? Well, now we have this, this crisis of refugees and immigrants being bused to the city of Chicago, mostly brown people. And so now there's this new crisis. Where are these women and men and children going to be housed? Well, here is this vacant school in this community. The city decides we're going to turn the school into a shelter for these immigrants and refugees. Hmm. Again, mostly Latino, Latina folks, yeah. right? Well, now you have a tension yeah. between the long-term black residents and the new temporary Latino community because the black residents are saying, well, hold on, our, our community has been disinvested in for generations. Right. How is it that city council can now find, I believe, $51 million to help meet the needs and provide for, like, where was that money to right. keep our mental health clinic open, right? So, so you have this tension now between two communities, but it's the wrong fight. It's mm. the wrong focus. Like, what's the frame? Yeah, yeah. What outlined the rules of the game? Right. What systems decided which schools got closed and which ones got extra funding? Which systems said what's, what's most important here is not the mental health clinic right. or is not extending the red line or, or so on and so forth, yeah. right? Um, that's where our focus ought to be. But whiteness, to your point, it seeps into everything yeah. and it distracts us. It gets us antagonizing one another in mm. ways that, in my perspective, distract from where the actual principalities and powers lie. Right, because that's what it is. It's a power, it's a principality. Yeah. And now you have all this antagonism on the ground floor yeah. that was actually administered by whiteness that's rather right. than right. um, an immersion of decision and that's an right. immersion of that's growth right. and leadership that's right. out of said community that's right. where we could actually have an imagination oh. for what oh. we could look like, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Tons, of, of, tons of, of, of layers that come together. And, and thanks be to God, there are leaders in both these communities pointing just that out, yeah, right? Yeah. Like they're saying like, hold on, hold on. No, there's a ton of solidarity here for us, right? But the, the, benefici- the beneficiaries of that, that whiteness status quo, you know, they get to sit back at a distance and kind of, you know, wash their hands of the whole thing and say, well, we know I'm not racist. You know, I I wasn't there doing that thing, but that's the frame that we're playing in. And, you know, I, I, you know, I want to, 
I've, I've said a lot about church planting and because the same frameworks <laughs> of whiteness in communities, they have to be ensconced with, with church because if churches are planted in communities right. and these things are prevalent, but, but I'm noticing this so much with like church planting organizations and, and such that look at multi-ethnic churches or churches led by persons of color or black churches um, as as having to participate. And I don't even think hmm. it's intentional most times. It's just like, this is how we do it. Mm. Because the, the capital's there, the money's there, the influence is there, the power is there, the name is there. So this is what God is doing. That's right. That's and right. one, of the, one of the disparities, I believe, is that when we dismiss um, what could be tragic with what we feel God is doing, when actually we're participating with a system. Right. And so we say, we're going to plant churches. And you got folks like me and others that are like, yeah, well, let me tell you what's going on on the ground right, floor. Right, right, right. This is what's happening here. Some of the, you know, we, there's a reason why we have cash checking stations here. And there's a reason mm -hmm. why the currency mm -hmm. has changed here and the mm -hmm. liquor stores here. Mm -hmm. Oh, that doesn't matter. Right. Like, no, no, no. All we need is this. Yep. And then what happens is we begin to plant churches based on the frame of whiteness right. and bring more hurt because there's no immersion That's of right. conversation from the ground the ground up like not what's to, going not on to mention there. we just miss what the holy spirit has been doing already, already. that we could be a part of like you going to bronzeville right like you could have went there yeah. with a with a structure mm -hmm. and a frame and and to some degree to some degree it may have worked for some people mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. ultimately it would have even it would have fizzled out yeah. which we don't talk about that because many right, church plans right, 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 right. we don't talk about the church plans that's that right. fizzle out that's that right. just didn't work yeah. it would have fizzled out or you would have created, or there would have been a power dynamic in that space that then would have participated with, with, with a frame that would have been detrimental to people. I think one of the best decisions, maybe the only good decision that I made early on was saying to the church, we're not gonna start any outreach ministries. We'll, we'll do Ooh. Sundays, you know, kids ministry, so on, yeah. but we're not doing any outreach ministry. We're gonna do outreach, but it's gonna force us to participate and to partner and to collaborate yeah. with the folks and the churches and the leaders who are already doing that work. And uh. from that, God led us to some incredible partnerships and friendships that exist to this day. I, I, I had this thing for our church that didn't work out the way we were praying and hoping it sure. did. And so I texted uh, four of those pastors yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And I just explained, here's the thing. And man, when I tell you just over text message, they pastored me. They, <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and, and those relationships are there because, and I think this is what whiteness keeps us from. I, I accepted my vulnerability. Mm. I accepted that, that, that I was being sent into a community um, and that were it not for the, the gracious hospitality of those who could say, here's what the spirit is doing. Yeah. Here's what God has done in previous generations. Yeah, Here's what yeah. we can testify. If, if I hadn't been vulnerable to that, I wouldn't have received the gifts of those kinds of friendships who can, four black pastors, come around me yeah. and say, man, we know what that's like. Yeah. We've been there before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like that's all good. of those frames and divisions kind of fizzle in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Now yeah. it's just pastors, yeah. brothers, members of the same kingdom. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Yeah. So let so let me let me ask you this because I got a couple of quotes from your book, Redisciplining the White Church. I forgot the tagline on it, but uh, from cheap diversity to true solidarity. Say it, yeah, David yeah. Swanson. All right, here we go. So you said this quote: "Before white churches pursue racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity as the solution to our segregation, we must first address the discipleship that led to our segregation in the first place." Yes. Yeah. So there, yeah. you you frame in the book there has been a discipleship into these racial disparities. That's right. That's Talk right. about that quote a little That's bit. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So I would say two things. One. Uh, as, as Christian people, we often limit discipleship to our churches, but that's, that's not right. We are being shaped and formed all the time yeah. by just the world that we live in. And those of us who live in a racialized society are being discipled by that racialized society into that imagination, into that frame, to use your language. And, and so that's, that's one thing to notice. The second thing is that then we bring that, white people I'm talking about now, into our congregations. We bring that malformation into our, into our congregations. And then we leave it completely undisturbed. Oh. We leave it completely alone in ways that we wouldn't do it with other things, right? Like if I, if I 
you know, we, we could make the case that our, our uh, society is, is hypersexualized in yeah. some very unhealthy ways. Yeah. Well, our churches oftentimes notice that, right? And we want to disciple away from that into healthy patterns of sexuality. We live in a very greedy society. We're gonna, our churches are going to think about how are we going to help people be generous. But when it comes to this, for the most part, white churches haven't touched it. And so what we end up doing is we kind of baptize the status quo. And so we say, the way that you have been discipled is fine. You can keep all of that. You can bring all of that with you to worship, to the table, to communion, and so on. It's not a hindrance. It's not a distraction to your discipleship, to the communion with other, other, other Christians. And that, that is what has been so terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So that if we're actually going to get to that vision of, 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 uh, of multi-ethnicity and true reconciliation, we got to address that first. got to say, you know what, um, this, this has been a, a half way discipleship Mm. and we have to actually acknowledge now that a lot of what we've been bringing with us a lot of our cultural assumptions have not been neutral they've actually been deadly to our sisters and brothers in christ wow so now let's disciple away from that now we're in a position to actually begin thinking about reconciliation because we've addressed the rotten foundation Mm. so talk to the so in a multi-ethnic church you know, I, I get this look all the time in my church and in other churches. You know, white people just, and, and I, I love, I actually celebrate our white people a lot because you sitting in this mm-hmm. and believing God for this, this reconciliation, this multi-ethnic congregation is fascinating to me. But I kind of get this look all the time like, I don't, what am I, what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Or, like, can you, can you talk to white people in multi-ethnic conversations, mm-hmm. um, sorry, multi-ethnic congregations mm-hmm. I think they need a word of encouragement, mm-hmm. right? Um, or some language around perhaps why they're there. Mm-hmm. Because I feel sometimes they feel useless. They feel like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm supposed to let 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 the persons of color lead mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very very appropriately postured in like a, I'm not gonna mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna step in right. or step right. over. Right. I mean, chronically, like you know what I mean. Like I was gonna give towards that, <laughs> right, right. But I don't want to assert power. No, no, no. You please, give, please, ma'am. Please, <laughs> please. I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna volunteer for that because I didn't right. want to. No, 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 no. Please, we need somebody to That's volunteer right. for that. So what do they need to hear? Yeah, yeah. I mean. There's so, so much I want to say. I'll just say, start with my own testimony. It is really good for all of the complexities. Yeah, yeah. For all yeah. the things you just said. I never am going to go back to an all-white church. <laughs> David Swanson. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, for all of the challenges. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's just so much better. And I, and I, I bet, I bet every white person in your church would, would, you know, if you push them a little bit. Is it complicated? Yes. Do you know what you're doing all the time? No. Do you understand what's happening in service all the time? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Really? Yeah. Do you want to go back? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is, this is way better. Wow. In the messiness. In the, that, yeah. That's actually my hunch. Not everybody, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think, I think the, the level of hospitality people experience, mm. I think the, the level of, of true biblical koinonia. Yeah. Like, like, I thought fellowship was just coffee after the service, but what I'm experiencing now, what I've been invited into now, is opening up the possibility of fellowship in a way I never could have imagined before. Like, oh. like that kind of thing is happening, I would bet, for many, many white people in multiracial churches. And I would say to those people, enjoy that. Yeah. And that's a gift. What a gift God has given you. Take that with the messiness. Yeah. Enjoy and appreciate the gift. The second thing I would say is, this is going to be a lifelong journey. You, you, you have been discipled into this frame your whole life. Wow. So don't expect it's going to just untangle overnight. That's generally not how God works. Yeah. So just commit yourself to a lifelong journey. You're going to look back 10 years from now and you're going to kind of chuckle at yourself. Like, ah, oh, you were so insecure back then. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. didn't really know. And some of those instincts about Hey, should I volunteer now? Is this a place where I could lead? Some of that's just going to start to become intuitive because you're being discipled into a new culture. I would say you're being discipled into the kingdom of God, into a new ethic of how to actually live in love with sisters and brothers who you never have had the opportunity to work this out with before in your life. So again, it goes back to your point about the messiness. We got to be able to embrace that, that messiness 
I think early on in the journey, that's that timidity. That's probably a sign of health. That's good. Right? Okay. Right? Yeah. Two, and three, this helps me too. Yeah. yeah. Two, three years. Uh, you probably shouldn't be in that same place. Right. Like yeah. you've developed some muscle memory now. You, when, when pastor invites you into a leadership role, you say yes, because you trust your pastor. You yeah. trust the other members of your congregation. You're not so bound to your own white frame yeah. that that's the only thing you can think about. Right. Yeah, you still realize you're white, but now you're also thinking about, well, these ministry initiatives and these spiritual gifts and this season of the church and your world has just gotten way more nuanced in a very, very good way. So I think that's the, it's the spiritual maturity stuff, right? Yeah, it's the spiritual yeah. fruit stuff. And I just think it plays out for white people in a multiracial church in ways that we're just not used to experiencing. Sure, sure. But at the end of the day, it's really, really good. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned Koinonia and Fellowship. And I, I realized that for the white people that I've been in contact with, even some at our church, the fellowship was so systematized. That's right. That's and it was right. so programmatized, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and I remember... Uh, I was kind of going back and forth with someone. We were talking about table fellowship and yada, yada, yada. And, and kind of the premise was like black people do church well, but we don't really do like table well. Mm. And I'm thinking like, that's all we do is table. <laughs> Are you, we've been doing this since day. Are you kidding me? Right. Like on Sunday, you know, yeah, Sunday yeah, yeah, is, yeah. is is Sunday is like small group. Mm-hmm. We didn't mm-hmm. know what it was. Mm-hmm. But Sunday, even to this day, my grandfather was doing this when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. He was a pastor on the west side. Mm-hmm. And I do this to this day. I'm like, hey, you, you, and you, let's go eat. Right. Nobody right. even knows. They're just like, let's go eat. Mm-hmm. Let's go. And we go and just spend hours yeah, 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 yeah. just over fellowship mm-hmm. and laughing, mm-hmm. having a good time. And it's just been a part of the nuanced expression of the black yeah. experience. Yeah. And I learned that the first question white people ask when they come to our church, every single one of them is winner groups. Right. That's right. the first question. That's right. That's right. And I, I highly highly believe in and appreciate groups, even programmatized mm-hmm, groups. Mm-hmm. But that's the first question. Mm-hmm. And we're thinking to ourselves, we just had a group last night. Right. right we just right. had a group setting up that's the church right. today. That's right. That's right. Like that's what we do. That's right. That's you know, right. girl, you didn't bring me my Starbucks. Yeah. yeah like yeah, yeah. oh so you gonna bring something for you to eat uh-huh. and not bring something for uh-huh. me to eat. Uh-huh. Right. And to see this start happening in our church where it's like it's you good. have like a um, a seventy-year-old white lady getting fussed at yes. because it's like, yes. well, well, why can't you go? Why yep. can't you go out Thursday? Mm-hmm. Why can't we eat? Mm-hmm. Thir- you know, yep. it's kind of like, whoa, 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 that wasn't on the schedule. That's so good. That's so, no, so that's, good. that's what we do. Yeah, it's it's not on a schedule. Yeah, which is why it's been difficult for us in that space of groups to kind of programatize it. Yep, because everybody's like, oh, I was with her Saturday, right? And I've been over his house. I wasn't even supposed to go over there. You know what I mean? So that's very, very intriguing to hear. You talk about that. I've, I've, I've been wondering that. I've been thinking about that. What are white people thinking? So let me, can I share? So yeah, like yeah, a, yeah. This is a little laboratory right yeah. now, if I can. If I can. Um, so we recognize pre-pandemic that our groups were mostly white and Asian. Handful of black people. Yeah. And we said, well, that's not good. <laughs> That's that's not really what we're after here. <laughs> and so we, we kind of started talking and, yeah. and a couple of things came up. One was, look, you're, you're inviting me into some, some generally white person's home who I don't really know. Say it. Not the safest thing, you know, I'm in the world. You, man, yeah. And two, um, I'm used to more of a Bible study where there's some spiritual leader, yeah. often the pastor, yeah. who's kind of like creating this is what we're doing. Yeah. We said, okay, that's helpful. So we added a Bible study yep. at our church office. And guess who came? Black people. All the black people. <laughs> it was, it was, it was me. <laughs> this is fact. It was me and all the black people. Not all, I mean, it, it was, there, were, there, there were like two other white people and you know what I mean? But it was, and, and it was great. We had a, it, it was basically a small group, you know, yeah, like 20 yeah. people. Right. And, but pastors got to teach me the Bible. That's right. That's right. That's right. And so I'm going, well, this is, fun but also it's not really getting at it you know so then the pandemic came everything had to shut down yeah i said okay we're gonna have some conversations about this and so we appointed this this kind of small group of members we gotta just evaluate think what's going on here so we meet a few times online our associate pastor's woman named michelle dotson african-american woman been involved in multiracial movement forever doing her phd work in multiracial churches right brilliant 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 and so we're, we're talking around this and she goes look if, if you move through the world as an autonomous individual, then when someone invites you to build community, that's very attractive to you because it's a felt need for you. Sure. I need community. I need to build community. I need to be in the small group. She said, but if you move through the world as a collective 
if you, if you understand yourself in relation to other people, then you're not trying to build community. You are already experiencing community. Uh. She says, so when a white person and maybe to a lesser extent, an Asian American person comes to church, our church, they're looking to build community. How do I get involved in community? That's right. What's the process for community here? She said, but when most black people come to our church, they're like, okay, this is my church. This is my community. This, this is, is now my people. Yeah, and so yeah, we're going to yeah. do community together. And she said that and my, my brain is exploding, you know? And so, I, so what we said is, okay, so we built a model around one set of assumptions. Those assumptions aren't bad. They're just one set of cultural assumptions. What would it look like for us to build a model around this other set of assumptions? So we, we now, when we came back from the pandemic, we do large group Bible study. So it's just old school. It's, yeah, yeah, we meet, yeah, at, we yeah. meet at somebody's church. Yeah. And it's, but we do hybrid, right? So we do a teaching and then we break into small groups in that same space together and you're with your small group for, for the nine months of the Bible study. And then we, we redo it. We're year two into this. And I know for some of the people watching, like you're going real deep into the weeds. But my, my point is that I think in, in our spaces, this is how we have to be thinking about it. We have to be getting below just the methods to the, the assumptions beneath them. And what I realized was that our model was asking one group of people in our church to move farther than other groups of people in our church. We were asking the black people to move farther than we were asking the white Help and the Asian people. And we said, for us at least, in a majority black neighborhood, that's, that's inappropriate. And so not to say that we fixed it or gotten it figured out or anything yeah. like that. It's been messy. People are like, it's, it's been fascinating. A lot of the white and the Asian people are like, yeah, but how are we gonna build community without our small groups? And we just had to, we just had to bank on their trust in our leadership. Sure. We just had to say like, you're going to have to give us three years on this because this is going to yeah. feel like a, a three-year change. We just last, last night wrapped up year two, and it's happening. You know, like you can feel hmm. the culture changing, but it's when you make that culture level change, it's, uh, it's tricky for folks because they're, you're operating at the level of emotion and not intellect. Yeah. You can't quite say why this doesn't feel right, but I can sure feel why this doesn't feel yeah. right. And that's where I think pastoral leadership is so important. Dude, that's helpful for me, man, because and I got to talk to her more about this because that's where we've been. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, hey, let's let's this multi-ethnic church. We're going to do groups. We got to mm -hmm. be together. Mm -hmm. We need the table. Mm -hmm. And and I'm always joking from the from the pulpit. Like, you know, if you got a dog walking around around the food, you know, at your house, black folk, they ain't coming back. Like your group is over. You know, it's over. <laughs> First of all, to get me there right. is one. That's right. But then but you're right. Like, you know, persons of color come and say, yeah, this is my fam. That's my pastor. Yeah. This is my girl. This yeah. is my guy. Mm -hmm. And we've already kind of seen community in light of that. And so that's that's powerful. So anyway, anyways, let me give you one more question because I don't know how long we've been going, bro. <laughs> we've just been vibing, uh, Gary. So I, I'm sure you want us to wrap up. Um, I'm, I'm going to get one more thought because I, I want to um, ask you about this word reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And I, I'll get critiqued on this quite a bit when I say, hey, I believe in reconciliation. Or I try to frame it with biblical reconciliation yeah, to yeah, try to understand yeah. that there's a reconciling back to God. Yeah. Yada, 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 yeah. Yada. But some people are saying we can't use that word. Mm -hmm. there, there's no reconciliation. Mm -hmm. There was no reconciling. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And what are we reconciling from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so can we frame this last word, reconciliation, for people to understand from your yeah. perspective? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think I understand the critique. I'm sympathetic to it. Um, I, I'm still captive to it. You know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not walking away from it either in large part because the, the reconciliation that we find in, in scripture is always, um, God provoked and God sustained. It's never hearkening back to some moment of utopia when yeah. everything was right. Yeah. When, when was that moment? You know? So I think when we use the language of reconciliation, we are confessing something that is impossible in our own strength. We are, we are making a confession that this thing that we have been called to is beyond our capacity to, to build on our, on our own. Um, that the, 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 the new family, the koinonia, uh, that is our inheritance, that is our birthright in Christ, is, is completely and totally an act of grace. So I'm not interested in, in going back to some point in history. Yeah. That's a, that's a losing gambit for anybody and particularly for those who've only known the, the worst of systems of oppression. You yeah, know, what point right. are we going back Ain't to? Ain't back there. Right, right. 
So there's a way in which biblical reconciliation is actually uh, an, an eschatological uh, a breaking into the present, yeah. you know, of what we have not seen and tasted. And yet in, in, in the providence of the resurrected and ascended Jesus, we are invited into right now to experience together. So I think qualifying it with biblical is to say, now this this is beyond what we could do. It's beyond us. It, it's rooted in in the in the in the one who now rules and reigns and whose kingdom is breaking into our our present reality. And because of that, I'll often add language of of justice and liberation to yeah. it, right? To to make people understand that we're not after just a, a relational togetherness here. Right. You know? it's, it's much bigger than that. It's much more comprehensive than that. But but for that reason, I can't let it go either. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think from a biblical sort of a Christ-centered or a Christ-centered view of reconciliation. For me, I feel as if that God, as the scriptures say, is reconciling the world to himself, That's right. that his imagination for this multi-ethnicity, right, has been tampered with. Right. It's been reduced. It's been reduced. It's been, it's been scourged. Yeah. And yeah. now that I'm not trying to do reconciliation as it relates to the historic systems of America. no. no. I'm talking about biblical, Christ-centered, yeah. Holy Spirit-filled reconciliation where we actually would imagine what God imagined from the beginning. That's right. That's and right. that's what reconciliation means. But I understand in the social sense mm -hmm. why people would mm -hmm. critique it in the social sense. But I believe if we're going to engage race and injustice, systems of oppression, it's got to be through the lens of revival, through the presence mm -hmm. of God. It's got to mm -hmm. be through the lens of God and his righteousness, his grace, his presence. Yeah. And that's where I believe the church is trying to figure this thing out like how do we engage it socially but also with within the frame of the church well that's mm. the breaking into that i think yes, god's doing yes, it's like that's the messiness yes. this is the acts too yes. this is the every language yes. this is the doctrinal debates this yes. is the messiness of yes. the book of acts where god can come in with revival fire mm -hmm. and begin to help us sort out the complexities of the systems of race and injustice mm -hmm. and have us see something great mm -hmm. happen in the church so Come on, Pastor. Let's come go. On, Pastor. You fired Alt me. Altar call. Let, yeah. me, let me let me come to the altar right now. Will there let me be join one? the church. Let me join the church today. That's Dude, it. this was That's just it. bro, this is not fair, man. We need like more time. And, and here's the deal. I greatly appreciate the work you're doing. Likewise. I love my city. I love Chicago. Yeah. And I'm very, very being born of the West Side. Mm -hmm. I'm very, very um I'm very protective. Yeah. Yeah. So when people are planting and doing mm -hmm. things, I'm like, yo, what are y'all doing? Yeah. What's yeah. going on here? But what you're doing in Bronzeville is exceptional, mm -hmm. and you're being present to the community. Um, you're leading persons of all nations, and God is just getting the glory, man. And so we're going to stay in this multi-ethnic world together. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I need y'all to give it up for Pastor David Swanson who joined us today, man, and we'll drop all your socials you. down there so people can follow you. I appreciate you, man. Hey, Thanks, thank friend. you for joining the Gospel and Race podcast. We got to go. We'll see y'all next one. Peace. Peace.